Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, thanks for tuning in. I'm Alice Denby, Deputy Editor of CapEx. Now, he's best known for coming up with the terms death tax and climate change. So it's fair to say US pollster Frank Luntz knows a thing or two about political communication. And I was delighted to welcome him as my guest on this week's CapEx podcast. We sat down to discuss his latest project for the Centre for Policy Studies, delving into how the British public really feel about that most American of values, freedom. Now, if you'll be surprised to learn that it's not an idea that animates our democracy in quite the same way it does for our gun-toting cousins across the Atlantic, But for those of us who do care about choice and liberty, the detail of his findings are deeply worrying. And perhaps most concerning from a CapEx perspective is that almost half of British people either can't tell or see no difference between capitalism and socialism. So as well as getting his characteristically lively takes on all the latest political gossip on both sides of the pond, I asked Frank how those of us who do value freedom make the case to a populace who seemed more interested in fairness than prosperity. Frank Luntz, welcome to the CapEx podcast. Thanks so much for being here. We are sitting here in Westminster on Tuesday. Last night was the big vote in Parliament on Boris Johnson and the Privileges Committee report, which found that he misled Parliament, which is leading to some people comparing Boris to Donald Trump. And I just wanted to get your perspective on that. How do you think British and American politics compare at the moment? First off, I appreciate the opportunity to provide your listeners with some really interesting information about the perceptions of freedom, opportunity, equality, prosperity, fairness. And all of those are at play with your government right now. I don't want to compare Boris Johnson with Donald Trump. Boris has written more books than Trump has read. In fact, Boris has written more books than Trump has colored in. There is a difference, but the one thing that is the same is that they both don't seem to embrace accountability. I've known Boris now for 40 years. I was with him when he ran for president of the Oxford Union, and I was there on the floor last night in those very special chairs, that bench. And so I got to watch a really sad occasion. But in the end, if democracy is to work, it must promote those values that we take seriously. And probably the most important election value is accountability. And he sought to dismiss it. He sought to ignore it. He sought to run away from it. Well, guess what? It found him. There's been some criticism of the report itself. Some people saying a 90-day suspension was vindictive. Some 200 MPs abstained on the vote. So 
I take your point that accountability is important, but do you think that the processes here worked as they should? That's the question. And there's some people who hide behind that process. He behaved badly. You can't tell people to button up and stay home and stay away from each other and have drinks parties and dancing. I thought there was a bunch of people sitting around in a room like we are here right now. I mean, it wasn't a party, but it was more than people just sitting around sharing a drink. It's just inappropriate. And when people are literally dying, you can't see your family members and you have to stay apart for them to behave this way. At least the public is owed an apology. Yeah. And I think we'll get into this later because this is a question of freedom. It was the government that took our freedom away and didn't abide by its own rules. But we'll come to that when we talk about the survey. I just want to talk a little bit more about Boris and Trump, because one place where the comparison really falls down is that the more Trump gets involved in kind of legal difficulties and what have you, the more popular he seems to get, whereas the opposite seems to be the case with Boris Johnson. You have standards here that I think we've lost in America. It's one, I don't like bashing the country. And I know that when I'm over here over the last couple of years, I've tended to say things that I examine after I've said them and wonder if it's frustrated or angry with conditions in America or that I simply appreciate a slightly more gentle, more genteel environment that I get here. There is a difference between the two countries. You've seen this in the survey. You've seen this in all the work that we've done. There is an attribute of fairness that you insist on in this country. You have to treat people fairly. You have to be fairly honest. You're allowed to bend the rules a little bit, but only up to a point. I think that there's an awful lot of rule bending and law bending when it comes to Trump, that the Laws don't apply to him. Well, God damn it, yes, they do. They apply to billionaires and homeless people. They apply to an 18-year-old and an 80-year-old. You need this. If some laws apply to some and not to others, if you allow corruption in your economy or in your politics, if you lower your standards, then you're going to get a really crummy society. And I'm glad that the people in this country have a commitment to fair play and have a commitment that if it's good for this individual, it's good for that individual. Do you think Trump's going to get the Republican nomination? I think there's a very good chance. We're speaking at the close of June of 2023. That certainly looks that way. In all the research that we've done, Trump gets stronger and stronger because he seems like he's a victim. He seems like he's being persecuted, not just prosecuted, persecuted by the authorities. And so Republicans are rallying around him as political people often do. It's a long way between now and the first vote in January, but he's doing much better than I expected a year ago. And he's not just the front runner. He is way far ahead of the field right now. And if it comes to an election between him and Biden? I jump off the Tower Bridge. (laughs) In fact, what's the tallest bridge over the Thames? There's Westminster Bridge. There's London Bridge. I'm going to be jumping off. Millennium Bridge. Hungerford Bridge is quite high. Okay, I'm going off it, whatever it takes. I'm going off of the upper level of the Tower Bridge because it's just not good for democracy. It's not good for the economy. It's not good for the country. You have one individual that has clearly shown almost a disconnect between himself and what's happening in the country, referring to inflation as transitory and not understanding that people are really hurting or God save the queen. What the hell is that about? Mm. And the other one who simply does not accept that the rules and the laws apply to him. And they're both bad. They're both problematic and uh, the country will suffer for it. I think you often talk when you're here in the UK that you're here to warn us that the UK could head the same way as the US. 
But I wonder how much of that is dependent on the personality. So you laid out there, you know, electors in America are going to face a choice between two basically unacceptable individuals. Whereas here in the UK, if it's going to be an election between Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer, it's not such a terrible choice. And when you have a bad situation, as it was emphasized today, when you have a bad situation, that person gets removed. It, Boris was not allowed to face the public again because his behavior had been considered so abhorrent. You don't have to wait to the very end of an administration. You can get yanked as what happened with Theresa May. And this trust? Yes, your system actually, and I never liked the parliamentary system because it doesn't function, it doesn't promote compromise. To the winner goes the spoils. And I don't think that's good for democracy. And yet, I'd argue that your democracy is stronger than ours right now. Parliament is a sort of elective dictatorship, but, but then again, it is quite effective at regicide, whereas your system of checks and balances ultimately does seem to make it harder to hold the president to account. And yet what's interesting is I think our system of checks and balances gives us better legislation because you can't get everything you want. Whereas your system, a parliamentary style system, actually holds people more accountable and you can't get away with the things you can get away with because your elections aren't determined and governments do not last the entire five years and individuals get replaced in cabinet reshuffles. So there are advantages to both systems. And I know that I'm more pessimistic because of all the focus groups I do and all the polls I do. To be candid with you, so this is, I always try to do something different in a podcast. So here's something I've never acknowledged until right now. Three very powerful individuals, Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, the current Speaker of the House, and Mike Milken, one of the most successful business people in the history of American finance all called me within the same three-hour period to tell me you have to stop depressing the country. <laughs> the first one I heard, I just dismissed. The second person who called me, and I said, whatever. And the third person, and within the same three hours, I didn't realize that my stuff was circulating through the web and that people were bumping into this and that it was actually, in one case, they were afraid that it would depress the markets. No one listens to me. <laughs> You've got the data and you've done the focus groups, and you've listened correctly, there's a lot to be upset about. There's a lot to be depressed about. Viewers can't see us. There was a time when I was the youngest person in the room. I'm now the oldest. I'm being interviewed by someone who's relatively young. And you have a lot of time ahead to be able to fix some of these challenges. I'm looking at it from the other direction. What could I have done? And what do I need to do right now before it's too late? So yeah, I am pessimistic, but there's a lot to be pessimistic about. Well, let's get into it. So the polling that you've done for our parent organization, the Center for Policy Studies, was looking into the language of freedom. Now here at CapEx, our whole, the whole reason we exist, our purpose is to make the case for capitalism, for freedom, for choice and opportunity. Economic freedom. Economic freedom. Capitalism is about the owner. Economic freedom is about the entire enterprise. Capitalism is about Wall Street. Economic freedom is about Main Street. Capitalism about those who've already made it and economic freedom is for everyone who wants to make it. And it really matters is about a 20 percentage point preference for economic freedom over capitalism. So I don't mean to correct you, but I do. And there are these terms that matter so much. We're going to talk about freedom and I'm going to jump right into it. In America, freedom is freedom of speech. It's uh, Hobbes and Locke and Adam Smith, and it's intellectual and philosophical and theoretical. That's not the way freedom is perceived here in the UK. 
here is freedom to do what I want with my life. It's about my having control over the decisions I make. It's very personal, very individual. It's not philosophical. Freedom in America, people are willing to fight and die over it. During COVID, we had fights breaking out over whether people had to wear masks or not, or whether people had to take, had to be vaccinated or not. It was really, really emotional. That's not the way it is here. Over centuries, you've just come to accept freedom. It's here, you feel it, you like it, but it's like a fish doesn't know that it's swimming in water. Mm. I think that the UK mindset here, and now the difference is in the UK, it's really important that you demonstrate fairness. And fairness is very much a pro-labor value, as is equality. And in fact, of all the values that we tested, equality was most divisive. Labor people believe that it is essential and it's not happening. And conservatives don't really care. Because to them, freedom is not they don't care about equality, but it's a lower priority to them. They stop, they start by insisting on both security and freedom. And then you have the value of opportunity, which has been very much a part of the Center for Policy Studies from its founding. And opportunity doesn't seem to matter to that many people in the UK. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that they don't believe it. They don't prioritize something that they don't necessarily see for themselves. They may want it, but it doesn't seem to be present for them, which is very tragic. I think it's quite worrying from a conservative perspective to hear that fairness is such an animating value, because as you say, that does feel like it tracks labor, presuming that you associate it with equality. But I guess maybe there is an argument that fairness is also about, you know, not being overtaxed and overburdened and and having a kind of having the opportunity to succeed. Is, is that how we should be framing our arguments about economic freedom? Well, that's clearly the conservative definition of it, but that's not the public's definition of it. And fairness is about every individual having a go at something, having the chance to do something. And we really did look at the framing of this. Fairness is both... Actually, fairness is more of a national issue Freedom is more personal. Equality is both. And it was fascinating to me that you have a different perspective if you ask people what is important to you and your family versus what is important to your country. And I don't think that political people pay enough attention to it. This organization, the Center for Policy Studies, is the most serious look at the reality of policy, not just the theory of policy. So I'll give you an example. You're all about home building. I make fun of it because that's such a core component that every time I see a house going up any neighborhood or new flats, I'm thinking, wow, Rob Koval and the Center for Policy Studies is going to be really happy with this neighborhood <laughs> right here. But that's because it's not housing policy because it makes people happy. It's now more housing because people want it. It's that it's good for life. It's good for families. It's good for neighborhoods. And this organization, unlike any other that I know, cares about the actual impact on real people of public policy. And this study brings a language component into that as well. So politicians know that if they raise any of these issues, for example, there's a desire among people on the right to spend less. Here, it's about accountability and it's not about keeping taxes low so the government can't spend more. 
It's much more about waste, fraud, abuse, mismanagement, corruption. It's an opposition for spending that is not efficient and effective. In America, you would tie the tax issue in to hold governments' arms, essentially, to put them in handcuffs. So we have the same priorities, but we describe it differently. I know that was a really long answer, but I've been thinking about this, and I realized that the lexicon in the States and the UK is not the same, and our priorities are not the same. There is a special relationship. We do share the basic tenets of a democracy and an open economy, and then we need to celebrate those because there aren't that many countries that share our commitment to these things. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I wonder if fairness being such a central animating value for British people is one reason why in some of our public services we accept basically a poor service. I mean, I'm just thinking about the NHS. I think people love the NHS because it's fair, but it provides a pretty terrible service. But everyone has an equal service. Mm. The other country that cares about this is Russia. Mm. It's a really bad combination. In Russia, as long as everybody else is suffering, it's okay. Mm. I don't mind that I have to stand in line for goods and services because everybody else does. And you had a problem in the Yeltsin period when the country started to move forward. When the economy opened up, people started to do investments. And it was a problem because some people had more than others. And as long as you're equally poor in Russia, that's fine. Britain doesn't feel that way. Britain wants everyone to be equally successful, Mm. equally satisfied. And in fact, if you're too satisfied, that's a problem as well. This is the only country I ever met that they would actually say to a hotel, are you giving us too much? (laughs) No, we don't deserve flowers on the pillow. No, We'll do with one newspaper at the door, not two, because that's wasteful. It's a different definition of fairness. And I wish that America were to pay attention to you all. And I think that you all can learn something from America. I think that there's something good in both societies. And then we'd benefit if we did more to see what the other side prioritizes and maybe pull a little bit in for ourselves. It would be great if Britain could learn something from America about prosperity, because... Frankly, 
what's the statistic that if the UK were a state, it would be the poorest state in America? That's how much higher your GDP per capita is than ours. Are you sure of that? Well, I'm saying it with confidence. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I think that if you took out Scotland, maybe you took out Wales, there may be some areas of the country that would be the poorest. But there's success here. I, I will say this. The highest level salaries here are much lower than the States. Mm. And you all live on much less. And I don't know how you can afford to buy that home, to buy that flat, because you're not paid that much. But the quality of life here, in some ways, is superior to the U.S. You don't live to work. You work to live. You appreciate the beauty of nature more than we do. You take it seriously. You don't love your kids. I mean, you send your kids off to some boarding school somewhere. You send them off to some uh, government school, and you don't connect to them. That I don't understand. I've been doing research into climate issues. And in America, if you want to respect the environment you show an older person handing so carefully, cratering the globe and handing it to a young child. In Britain, you show someone cradling a small tree and handing it off to some other adult. You want to talk about the impact of climate on the environment you show a polar bear cub in America. In the UK, you show some forest or something you don't have kids jumping around because, I don't know, but you just don't seem to really love kids. Go figure. <laughs> Maybe it's because of the melting pot where we have so many people came here from Italy. They came here from Greece, Southern Europe, where everything is louder, more emotional, more impactful. Spain, Central America, South America, where family is just the core of life. I think the pub over here is the core of life. Maybe it's something about the stiff upper lip. Maybe people are polite to their own kids. But I don't know if they're polite. It's like, who's that? Who's that young per? Oh, that's my son. <laughs> oh, nice to know. Hello, what's your name? <laughs> um, I want to talk a bit about the pandemic because I feel like this is where issues of freedom and fairness have become most into conflict. And in young people, of course, because it was them who bore the brunt of the lockdowns. It's the children who are going to have their entire future changed by it. And it's not going to, it's happened. And we lost, I've studied this in America in terms of education, and the lockdown cost an entire year, 11 months of learning. They'll never get back again. Forget the social development that a child has and the socialization, the ability to work with others and how to behave in life simply intellectually, we lost an entire year. And I remember the education establishment in the States was so dismissive. Oh, our kids are learning fine. They're learning through uh, Zoom. They're learning through technology. And actually, no, they aren't. And it was partially because out of a fear that students would be embarrassed, that people would see where they lived, would see their environment at home, they allowed students to keep their screens off, to keep the cameras off, because nobody wanted to embarrass anyone. Well, you know what? You keep the cameras off, the kids aren't there. They're not listening, they're not learning. And this desire to be so respectful of everyone guaranteed that nobody learned anything. And the damage was real. What a lot of people who care about freedom found frustrating here in the UK was how easily we gave it up. 
how people accepted the lockdown restrictions, how little scrutiny there were. We talked about Parliament being an elected dictatorship. Well, in the time of crisis, it could do anything it wanted and did. And I wonder if you feel that it has changed people's attitude to freedom, that they gave it up willingly. And for some people, it seems it wasn't that bad. For half the population, it demonstrated the power of cooperation and compromise. For about 10 or 15% less, just over a third of the population, it demonstrated how weak freedoms were. In Britain, they saw COVID as much more an example of how we have to lift each other up rather than how we have to challenge the government when the government tells us that it's going to take away some of our freedom. Sure, this reminds me of um, on CapEx when Nigel Lawson died. We republished an essay that he'd written for this uh, Centre for Policy Studies back in the 80s, so in the Thatcher era. And he talked about how after the Second World War, exactly as you were saying about the pandemic, that the power of cooperation and national endeavour had been demonstrated in the war effort. And that led to the period of socialism under Attlee. And I wonder if we're, we're at a similar point now. Britain went from free market to socialism faster than any country I know that was truly free market and truly became socialist. Attlee expanded the role and the influence of government in every possible way so quickly and the population just acquiesced. That would not happen in the States. Barack Obama tried to bring in a national health care program, and it cost him Congress for six years. They punished him for doing this. He succeeded in the policy, but then he was punished politically for years. It's unique to Britain, and I can't because I wasn't raised here. I've studied British history, but it's another example of what happened in the UK could not happen in the US and vice versa. There's some things such as social media, the breakup of community, the hostility and the anger within the electorate that what you see in America today, you're going to see in the UK two years from now. But on issues of giving up freedom, we're not going to do it. You are. The countries are so different. The mindset is so different. So it's really weird because I can make a very strong case for what happens in America comes here two years later. I can make an equally strong case that Margaret Thatcher led Ronald Reagan, that leave and take back control led Donald Trump, that the things that were happening here was actually what was going to happen in the U.S. six months later, a year later. And I can also make the third case, which is that the two countries are not similar <laughs> at all. Yeah, I wonder if we're heading for a period of kind of socialism, then we're going to be followed by Margaret Thatcher-like figure to deconstruct it. I suppose what's frustrating is that we've had 13 years of a conservative government that have done very little, I think, to challenge the legacy of the Blair era. This is heresy, but I don't see that there's that much that needs to be challenged. That Tony Blair basically accepted Margaret Thatcher's commitment to freedom, but he added a sense of fairness. Had David Cameron challenged too much government of Tony Blair, but he accepted a lot of that fairness as he tried to instill a little more freedom. I think that you had it about right a few years ago and that it has gone wrong more recently. But in the end, it really isn't about theory. It's about life, day-to-day -day life. Do you feel free? Are you free? Do you benefit from the tenets of freedom? How will you live your best life? There are some people who benefit from socialism. I don't deny that. In fact, I think we should talk about it. But so many more people should cherish freedom so much more because their lives are enriched by it. I don't mean financially. I mean emotionally, socially, 
culturally, and I don't know of a government other than perhaps the Emirates, maybe Singapore, for a while, maybe Hong Kong for a while, but in almost every society, I think you, me, and virtually everyone would rather choose the US, the UK, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, to China, mm. Russia, Iran, and the countries that laugh at those who advocate freedom. How do you think we can most powerfully make that case here at CapEx and, and among our listeners? And To individualize, personalize, and humanize what you're trying to do. How does it impact you in your day-to-day life? Can you afford the petrol to get into the city? Do the trains run on time? Is the quality of health and the timeliness of health necessary for you to have a good quality of life. I think that freedom connected to quality of life is the best way to argue it. The more freedom you have, for most people, better off you are in every possible measurement. The less freedom you have, the worse off you are. So as long as that mobility exists, then I think the argument for freedom is obvious. I have a question from a listener who asks, if you think it's true that British people don't really care about immigration, I think they care deeply about immigration, but they want to protect what they're proud of. If people want to come here the right way and for the right reasons, I see no hesitation. The U.S. has taken a point of view that's much closer to the British. The most open country on the face of the earth is Canada. They allow the most people in and they have a really good system. Germany and France both allowed a ton of people in in a very short amount of time and it changed their entire culture, and it made the country less safe, less economically viable. It did real damage. It's not racist to say, no, don't come on a boat. No, don't swim across the channel. And no, don't take government services that you haven't paid for. That is not racist. That's simply common sense. You should not break the law as your very first action when you step on British soil. And I feel the same way about America as well. We need immigrants. This country does not have enough children. Immigration is essential for the economy, and it's good for society. Controlled immigration, organized immigration, not chaotic immigration. This was my final question. I always like to end on, if I can, on a positive note. Yes, because I'm about to engage in the Irish situation 25 minutes from now, so (laughs) let's try to do something positive in the last few moments. Yeah, I just wonder how optimistic you feel about the prospects of Britain embracing freedom, becoming freer, understanding how the language of freedom can change people's minds. I'm not optimistic about elected officials understanding this just based on listening to them, reading their websites, watching them engage in social media. I don't think they necessarily get it. I am optimistic about this country. And it was Winston Churchill who said that democracies always end up choosing the right decision after exhausting all the other options. I think in the end, you'll get it right, as you always have. You've had some really, really good leaders that have corrected the course that you all were headed in. I'm more optimistic about here than I am in in my country because my country seems to reward the worst rather than the best. So as long as you emphasize meritocracy along with democracy, this place will continue to thrive. I hope so. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do uh, subscribe, share it with your friends and keep tuning in to the CapEx podcast. Yes, you can't be any more pessimistic than me.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.